Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 274 of the FCPA Compliance and Ethics Report. The FCPA Compliance and Ethics Report is sponsored by the Red Flag Group. The Red Flag Group is a business advisory, information services, and technology firm that helps clients manage risks across four key risk areas. Those risk areas include sales and sales channels, including distributors, resellers, and partners, suppliers, customers, human capital, consisting of employees and contractors. You can find out more information at the Red Flag Group on their website, www.redflaggroup.com. Today I have back with me Scott Lane. Scott is the CEO of the Red Flag Group, and Scott and I talk about the concept of holistic compliance, which is working with a third party through the entire scope of the relationship. Scott has some very interesting ideas about how you can improve business efficiency through holistic compliance. The episode comes in at uh, just over 17 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm back for another episode of the Red Flag Group podcast. Today, I'm with Scott Lane, and Scott, welcome. Thanks uh, for visiting with me again. Tom, thanks very much for the time. Scott, uh, I wanted to just have a discussion about something you call holistic compliance. Uh, it's it's really something that has intrigued me, and I've thought a lot about, and so I thought it would be fun if we could maybe visit, with, uh, visit together a little bit about that, and today maybe focus on that issue around third parties. Sure. I guess to firstly set the table of what I would recall holistic compliance. You know, holistic compliance to me is that you've looked at the type of third party you wish to engage and that you've decided to work with a third party. And so you do an assessment and review of them. And then you presumably enter into a contract with them. And then at some stage, they're going to provide products or services for you or they're going to act as a reseller or do some sort of duties on your behalf. And then at some stage, you're going to close out that contract. And so to me, the the compliance is that end-to-end process. And I guess what I see at the moment in the industry is an enormous amount of time spent on the front end of that process. So it's it's selecting the right third party. And and don't get me wrong, I think that's extremely important. And as we know, it's, it's held by the regulators as an essential task, conducting that due diligence whether it's a background check, a questionnaire, a screening, or whatever form it happens to take, I agree that it's an absolutely essential task. But I think that the the compliance officers are really then kind of walking away once they approve the third party and give their validation. They kind of walk away. And, and I don't see enough investment and time and effort in continuing that dialogue with the third party to make sure that they actually do comply with the terms of their contract, for example. And, and the terms of those contracts are to comply with laws, comply with FCPA, comply with export control, comply with sanctions, comply with various delivery obligations, reporting obligations, quality metrics, etc. And so there, there doesn't seem to be enough investment in time in that element beyond the uh, onboarding aspect. And I think that's a real gap in a lot of compliance programs right now. Uh, Scott, I might phrase it another way because I say the minute you've signed the contract, that's when your work starts because you have to maintain the relationship and you have to uh, make sure that that relationship complies 
with the terms and conditions of that contract, specifically around compliance, and that uh, there's various ways you can do that. Um, what I try to advocate or I try to get companies to think through is you have a business relationship with someone. The person who's going to know the most about that business relationship is your employee, your businessman or businesswoman who wants that third party, who needs that third party, who can evaluate has that third party delivered uh, what they promised under the contract, whether that be a product, whether that be a widget, or whether that be a service. And so I really uh, advocate that companies have a business relationship manager who not only engages with that third party around the contractual deliverable, but all the other deliverables that you just articulated. Um, any thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think the there clearly needs to be a business owner or manager associated with that third party. So I think that's absolutely correct. The challenge, however, is that the business person can only do so much. They can only, uh, you know, their skill set, they're not lawyers, they're not compliance experts, they're not auditors, they're not they're not sort of uh, focused on that aspect. They're generally focused on quality assurance, on delivery, etc. And so, yes, there is a value in that person being involved. But I think the compliance officer has an ongoing expectation and view that they need to be involved in the, the testing of the legal and compliance aspects of that contract. And I just don't see that being done to the extent that I think it should be. Well, let me split those roles up because... Um I'm a big relationship manager guy, and I think the business person needs to take the lead on this. And if you look at almost any FCPA enforcement action around a third party, the third party has either not delivered what they said under the contract or is a fraud to start with. So if you have third-party commission sales agents allegedly delivering a service and they're only getting – it turns out they're getting a 5% 10% commission for doing nothing, it's a pretty good indicia that a bribe's been paid. That's the kind of thing that a business person will know immediately if they've delivered a service beyond, here's an introductory phone call, go get them. So having that business person, uh, they're on the front lines to, to really let you as a compliance officer know, no, we didn't get value. No, something's wrong here. Something is not right business-wise, and that's really the first indicia that would, I would think lead to the other inquiries you've articulated. Uh, I think that's correct. Um, I think the challenge in some of the in that example, though, is that the uh, the in that particular example, I think the business person probably knew from the start that this was a that this particular uh, agent was there merely as a facilitator of a bribe. So they should have known that from the start. In fact, they may have actually been the person that propagated that that situation. But but you're 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 right. I think that person does need to be heavily involved, but, but I think that the compliance team should be looking at contracts and saying, have these third parties complied with the terms of their contracts? And which parts of those contracts do we as a compliance team care about? Is it the sanctions control aspect? Is it the export control aspect? Is it the uh, collusion of price fixing aspect? Is it the uh, handling of safe goods aspect? Is it the way in which they've... Um, they've actually managed some of their product regulatory environments, their uh, reporting obligations, their use of our IP, the use of um, our confidential information, how they've registered or may have not registered uh, product obligations. And so there's a whole bunch of things that are required by contracts that may or may not be done and may or may not cause risk to the company. And so my challenge to, to compliance officers is you really need to know what these companies are doing for you what obligations they have, which are the ones you care about, and which are the ones you need to validate to make sure that risk is being managed. 
And that, that may mean that only a small portion of those contracts are really being assessed and reviewed and investigated or challenged or audited or, or, or uh, checked in some way. But I think it's a necessary step. I don't, I don't think at the moment enough time is spent doing that. I, I think that at the moment it's left to perhaps a quality person to test quality or delivery person to, to, to test delivery skills. But I don't think clients are involved enough in that conversation. They, they, they tend to stop at the uh, onboarding stage and then they tend to come back at a renewal stage to recheck due diligence maybe. Uh, but that's about it. Well, let me, let me go off in a different direction because you've hit on something that's a huge bugaboo of mine, and it's the following. You articulated, I, I think I wrote down, 18 different types. 23. 23 different risk areas. 23 different risk areas. And of those 23 risk areas, I would say anti-corruption compliance were maybe three. That means there are 20 risk areas in a contract that you have the right to audit right now because guess what? Every contract ever signed has an audit clause. And so my bugaboo is when people say, well, we could never get audit rights around compliance. I say, you've already got them. Of course. Yeah. And if you haven't exercised them, that's a separate issue. But we're going to get to that one. Don't worry. But you always have the right to audit. You always have the right to audit around compliance. You always have the right to audit around the contractual obligations you put in place. And it just infuriates me because every supply chain, every vendor contract I've ever read, whether I was the buyer or the seller, had audit rights in there. You always have the right to audit against what you've contracted for vis-a-vis -vis what you receive. But now let's move to the compliance audit because that's yet another bugaboo. As recently as last year, I actually heard a compliance officer in Houston, Texas say, well, you know, if I audit, I might find something. And that kind of thinking, I think, is what really leads a lot of compliance officers to completely miss the ball around a compliance audit. So now that we've established my bona fides of hating people who say things like that, maybe we could turn this into a positive R and ask you, what are some of the things that a compliance officer should be auditing for vis-a-vis -vis the compliance obligations in a contract? Good question. Um, so firstly, we do, we. We believe there's around 23 risk areas that we focus on as a firm. So, and that really is historical. Years ago, I think our firm was very much anti-corruption and, 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 and perhaps export control sanctions, which, which no doubt were, were the hot buttons over the last 10 years. But what, what, what really surprised us was that it's almost as though that aspect has been, become the one and only risk that companies face. And the answer is, it's not. It, it, it may be an important one, and it may be one that is being prosecuted, and it may be one that's certainly the flavour of the decade, but it's not the only one. And so even when dealing with channel partners or sales agents, you know, think about a sales agent. Yes, they may be paying a bribe, absolutely correct, but they may be also stealing your patents, or they may be misusing your IP, or they may be taking your designs and selling them to a competitor. They may be involved in corporate espionage. They may be taking your financial information or your information for which they host and misusing it. They may have back doors or allow other people to access your information through their hosted environment. Or they may have confidential information on your product designs, your roadmaps, your future. Uh, they may have all of those things, actually, which are far higher risks to you than them paying a bribe that you were not involved in and have little knowledge of and could ha ever have little knowledge of. So I, I challenge people to stand back a little bit and think, yeah, okay, corruption is important. I'm not suggesting it's not. 
But there's a lot of other stuff to start thinking about. And, and I don't see people thinking about that stuff enough. I, I think that they're so caught up in this corruption piece that, in fact, what's happening, I think, in the business is you've got a risk of losing credibility with the business because business teams are saying, look, the risk here is so remote that this company is going to be involved in some sort of corrupt payment that we're going to get caught up in. Yet you're requiring me to go through all these requirements and all these processes and all these checks and all this due diligence and all this screening. And the business is kind of standing, stepping back and saying, I don't get it. When you've got all these other risks that could happen here and you guys are just not interested. And so I think there's a credibility argument on the compliance teams to really stand back and look at what can this company do to hurt us and look at those 23 risk areas and then focus on the things that are important to them. And that may mean a review, it may mean an audit, maybe a health check, maybe a questionnaire, maybe a screening, maybe a due diligence, it may be an interview, it may be additional contract clauses, it may be a whole certification, training, it may be a whole bunch of stuff. But I think I'm just not seeing people think about those risk areas enough. Um, and I think it's very easy for the compliance team to add a lot of value to the business by helping the business protect their IP, helping them protect their information, helping them protect their patents, helping them protect from a company manufacturing on the side some of their product and selling it into the grey market or any, any one of hundreds of situations that may arise. I think compliance has got a real opportunity to show value in that space. So I'm sitting across the table from you, and I say, you know, that sounds wonderful. I've got 60,000 vendors. What do I do? That's a good question. Uh, and uh, the good news is uh, people like myself and my firm do this every day. I mean, this is, this is a kind of normal day at of the office. You sit back, and it requires you to, firstly, have, a, have great knowledge about compliance. You need to know those 23 risk areas. You need to know 180 countries. You need to know 45 languages. You need to be able to sit back and look at the supply chain, the supplier, what they're doing to you, the time frame they're doing it, and, and mesh those things together to identify the ones at the highest risk. Then you need to look at your business. Where are you growing? Where are you investing? What are the amounts that you're spending? How are you spending it? The oversight you've got, the, uh, the experience in the procurement teams, the, the types of suppliers you're engaging, and then build a risk model. And our firm has built a, a risk model exactly for that situation. And, and we apply it every day. And we come out with a map of the 23 risk areas across a client's global procurement or supply chain. And then we, we target specific activity that the company should do to manage those risks. And in some cases, that activity may be very little. And in others, it may be a lot. Uh, but the point is, you need to go through that assessment and you need to go through that cycle in order to get the answers. And it's, it requires a lot of knowledge and experience, and it's not something that can be uh, that can be necessarily typed into a spreadsheet with a miraculous uh, risk assessment being pr produced at the end of it. It requires knowledge and skill, and it requires not only skill on risk and identifying risk, but probably the most important aspect of risk is the likelihood of it happening and the effect of that risk. Everyone can identify risk. But being able to make a call on the likelihood of that risk happening and the effect of it, that's the skill set that, that I think makes a difference. I didn't pick the number 60,000 out of thin air. I picked that out of the example from Tyco, who started with started this process with 60,000 uh, vendors in their supply chain. 
and they, at the end of the day, their risk assessment a months later was there were 1,200 that were truly high risk for anti corruption. And I use that as an example because I want people to understand if you apply the rigor of the risk analysis and risk assessment, you can get down to not only the reasonable, a reasonable number, but you can also risk rank within that reasonable number. So you can deliver that solution to your top highest uh, risks in appropriate manner. And so it gives you a roadmap going forward and it allows you to take a huge amount of information and reduce it to digestible chunks that you can manage both on a personnel headcount basis and also a resource basis going forward. So I think that's right. And the, the numbers uh, that you mentioned uh, are fairly consistent with what we see. In fact, if anything, on the percentages, I would probably, in my experience, have seen a lower, actually, number for the anti-corruption-specific risk. But obviously that depends on the company and how they engage with governments, etc. But, but generally, in those situations, I would see a little bit less of, of the corruption numbers. Uh, again, it comes down to the risk tolerance of an organisation and how risky they are, etc. But sometimes I've seen that number as a percentage lower. Uh, but what I have seen for many companies is that, that you know, going through an exercise like this really challenges to, them to think about their risk, the other 22 risks, and really challenges them to, to think about, well, actually, some of those other risks are much, much larger for us. And, and frankly, we're either ignoring them right now or we're leaving them up to the business to manage and frankly, that is, that definition of managers is uh, you know pretty unclear, pretty undocumented, and certainly not tracked and recorded, and therefore non-compliant. Well, Scott, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time, but uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. Thanks very much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>